Well, good morning. Man, you guys are about as uh, excited as I am, right? Uh, no, if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm exhausted. Uh, we, I told you guys last week to pray for middle school week one camp, um, and obviously they worked uh, because for the first time that I'm aware of, we had zero kids go home for sickness, homesickness, health. Like, give it up, yes. Why, that's amazing. I tried to get them to go home. Uh, we had to leave but then come back, and we also had a superhero at our week. Um, we had a kid who actually goes here. Uh, he, he, uh, he got hurt, well, we, we're assuming Sunday night, Monday morning-ish. Um, didn't do much the whole week. We checked on him. Uh, the kid's, a, when I say a superstar, I mean it, uh, because on Friday, we found out he broke his collarbone. He, I know, right? That was our reaction, because the kid didn't complain to, to us at all. Um, So we're grateful that he's okay. Um, We had over $900 raised for our missions uh, with uh, Jersey and Preston Sheldon, who are uh, missionaries that the Gateway actually supports. We have two baptisms coming up at other churches for the kids that we had this week. We had 104, if I didn't say that. We had an absolute massive amount of help. We had a three-hour power outage and we lost zero kids that we're aware of. Uh, last count was still good. We had middle school drama, um, but you know, like middle school drama can usually be dealt with a sarcastic comment, and it moves on, so I'm grateful for that as well. And if you hadn't heard, our other youth minister, Luke, in our Taze Valley campus, he, let me point this out. Our very first year of being deans was Brian and I like six years ago. That year he managed to have his second son like two days before camp started. So he was in and out. This year, Luke had his second kid in the middle of our week. So if I do my math, I'm going to make sure that I don't have to do a full week next year. (laughs) But I know that also comes with having a second kid, so we'll see. Um, But no, but Luke and Brooke and their little baby Ella are doing phenomenal. Uh, Pregnancy went amazing, the, the, the birth went amazing, and Luke's oldest son, Lincoln, who is three years old, is absolutely obsessed with little Ella. So can we give it up for Luke and them as well? <clears throat> but something happened this weekend um, that, I, that I feel like we need to at least address. And please understand that I, that I have prayed about this. Um, this has been a... <sighs> A monumental weekend for us in many ways, with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, absolutely monumental. And what I want to be understanding of is that there are a lot of people who are super excited, me being one. And we have a lot of people who are very angry. But what I want to understand for everybody here is that we have a lot of avenues, a lot of opinions, and a lot of different roads that people can go down with this topic. And so my job in the next minute or two is just simply to help us think biblically. That's it. Whatever way you may uh, go on this, however you have felt over the years, however you feel right now in this very moment, I want you to understand that we can differ, have opposing opinions, and we can exist together. Um, And so just a couple of thoughts to help us think biblically is number one, who you think are your enemies are actually your neighbors. 
What I mean by that is that there are a lot of things on social media right now that made me delete it over the weekend. Because what I realized is that the more stuff that I was reading, the more stuff that people were posting, it was making me upset because of how bad people were reacting on both ends of the spectrum, Christians and non-Christians alike. It's like we, we, we don't understand how we can get our opinions across without being like hyper with it and just like yelling it from the rooftops and realize that when you disagree with somebody, you're just different from them and you see the world differently. And how you work that out, I'm not going to be the one to demand that. For me, the Bible is how I try to look through that through. So whenever you're starting to get angry from reading stuff and you're wanting to react in a way that may not be godly, just simply delete whatever it is and breathe. Because the problem is not feeling a way, it's reacting in the way that makes it incorrect or wrong. Don't let your witness be ruined by an opinion. Don't let the way that you feel be the reason that you end a friendship or that you, have, or that you are in the way of somebody else seeing Christ. That's not the way we should react. Also, and more, most importantly, God values life. In Genesis chapter one, it says that male and female, he, he, we were created in the image of God. Whenever God created it, and understand, I say life. You were made in the image of God. So that means that the women who are wanting or have had an abortion, they're made in the image of God. Realize that the aborted baby is made in the image of God. No matter what way you see that, please understand, we all bear the same image. The difference is, is do you live in it? And God celebrates life. Number three, let this be a reason for us to act. We can run a victory lap. But if we run too many victory laps, then we're going to forget what we're actually celebrating. We can be happy about this overturning, but if it just stirs you to do nothing, then we're missing the point of why we celebrate life. Whatever you think, find a way to support this action. Maybe it's through adoption. Maybe it's through supporting a, a, an adoption agency. Maybe you want to partner with a ministry team that, to help with the mothers that have been contemplating this. I don't know what that is, but let this spur you into a motive and a posture to act for the ones who are struggling with this decision. Because if we just simply raise up our hands and then walk away, then we're missing everything. God's whole life and ministry for us is being about action. Don't sit back and judge and yell from the rooftops without it spurring you into a moment of love through Jesus Christ. And lastly, if you are here and you have had an abortion or you know somebody who has contemplated it or is wanting to have one and is super angry, know how much Jesus Christ loves you. And that nothing that you have done, nothing that we are going to do can separate you from that love. In Rome, please give it up. This is Jesus. Because in Romans chapter eight, it says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can change that. And if you are angry about this overturning, understand you're welcome here. Because your identity is not found in opinions. Your identity is bared in the image of Christ, even if we don't always know it.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the things in, in, in this world that, that, that are hard to discuss. And as a male, God, I have one way of seeing this. And so when we try to open up our view and we try to, to, to see the world from other viewpoints, God, that can be scary. It can be hard. It can be uh, a little overwhelming. But God, what I know is that whenever we, 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 we see these things, Whenever we do get overwhelmed, God, we, we, we are simply taking off one pair of glasses and we're trying to put on new glasses that you give us. And through that, God, we can't fail, even if the world tells us that we did. So God, thank you for the grace in our past and the hope in our future. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so now that we have the pool already here. We are in a series called Genesis. Say Genesis. Over the past few weeks, we have been dealing with uh, the, uh, the idea of life, um, with salvation, and with the curse. And today, for some of you, you're really excited because we're going to be talking about judgment. For some of you guys, you're really sad because we're talking about judgment. This is not a hellfire and brimstone message, though. I am not the guy who's going to be bringing that kind of fire. I can assure you of that. Um, unless you're a middle schooler. But if you are a physical Bible holder, Bible reader, uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 11, and we're going to start off this morning by reading verses 1 through 9, and that's kind of where we're going to be camping out this morning. Starting with verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its tops in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Now, if we go back just a few chapters, we had the story of Noah. And we kind of owe a good bit to Noah, considering God was ready to wipe the earth clean. And I mean everything. Start over. Be done. The world had done enough evil where he says, I'm gone with it. I'm done with it. I'm good. I'm over. That's usually about Wednesday at camp for if, you, if you've ever been a counselor. But whenever God looked down there, he saw Noah. <coughs> and Noah uh, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And then God saved Noah, destroyed the rest of the earth. And then everything else came through the, the line of Noah. So we actually owe a decent bit because God shows a soft spot for him. And lucky for us, God seems to have a soft spot for his creation, right? 
me give you another example. In the book of Jonah, you have the Ninevites, and God tells Jonah, hey, I want you to go to the Ninevites. I want you to tell them they gone. Bye. Y'all ruined it. And Jonah says, I'm good. I'm not going to do it. So he runs away three days in the fish. He says, no, you're going to go no matter what I say. Jonah goes. He starts running throughout the city. He says, y'all going to die. Good job. You ruined it. And then the Ninevites end up repenting of their sins. It says that God relented, meaning God changed his mind and he saved the Ninevites. The whole book of Judges, it's a revolving story of the Israelites messing up, God sending a judge to save them, them repenting, and then screwing up again. The whole book, which seems a lot about what we do today, right? We wake up, we say we're sorry. He says, you're, you're in grace, you're forgiven. We mess up and just continues this revolving door. But luckily, God has a soft spot for his creation because he sent himself in the form of Jesus Christ to die for our sins. God wants his people to live. If he didn't, then Jesus wouldn't have done what he had to do. God has a soft spot. But let's think about that for a second. After the flood, you would think that them knowing their history, whenever God says, hey, I'm gonna wipe the earth clean, he does it, and now you're living the post-flood and you're probably gonna wake up and be like, I'm kinda glad I'm here today and not drowning, right? And yet you read this story and they already messed it up. They're already sitting here in the, in the city and they're like, let us make a name for ourselves because we want to be great. And God says, I can't sit back and watch this unfold. Sin has to be dealt with. Why? Because the people will do more if I let it go on. But let's do a little backstory here. You see, we see this thing called the land of Shinar. Now, Shinar... It, it's kind of like the metropolis that used to be a, a little town. For instance, I don't know what it is about us West Virginians. We have two places, Myrtle Beach, Columbus, right? Like if you're like, hey, we're going on vacation. If you ask where, 90% of the time, it's one of these two places. What's, we have a three-day vacation, Myrtle Beach. We have a one-day vacation, it's Columbus. And both of those cities were once smaller towns. Every place is. But if you think about it, Every city kind of starts that way. Where there was nothing, people saw how much fun it was. It started to grow, 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 grow. And now what once was a quiet place no longer is. It's more of a metropolis. For instance, I, I, my family goes to Top Cell Island every year. Whenever we first started going there, I was in high school. So that was like 2006, 2007. And my family loved it because there was like one or two hotels and most of them were locally owned. But it, in Topsail Island, the way to get on and off the island was through a rotating bridge. So you would have to pick it up if a boat was coming, it would flip, boat would come through, it would come back. It was a small enough place that you could do that. Well, the more that people found out about Topsail Island and how secluded it was, how quiet it was, how the food was fantastic, now the traffic is a little bit worse. So now they finally realized, hey, if we build one of those roller coaster type bridges at every other beach place, we can get more people. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The one that seems like you're going up to the moon and then you're dropping back down to the earth pretty quick. That's what Topsail Island has become. And that is essentially what this place here in Genesis chapter 11 in Shinar has become. It seemed to be a good place for like agriculture, for farming. But the more and the time has went on, what once became a little town 
became a city, and now that city has become a metropolis. People love it. And so these people are now sitting here, and they're like, we want to make a name great for ourselves back in verse 4. So they build this massive place to make that happen. And if you notice here in verse 4, it says, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. Their job or their goal, what they were attempting to do was to build something so great that they weren't going to have to get out of their comfort zone to do anything else. That was their topic. But won't we do anything to become famous, to have our name known? Does that make sense? These people were willing to build the biggest city and the biggest place, the biggest tower, just so God would notice them. And then I started thinking how much we today will do anything to make ourselves known. We want to be upfront. We want people to know our name. For parents, we like being able to, to, to maybe live through our kids or through our job. For kids, we just want to do the thing that doesn't make us look dumb. And the longer that we, that we live, the older that we get, we're actually sitting here and we're trying to become famous. And we'll do just about anything to get there. Let me give you an example. And this is not an old joke, okay? But how many of you guys were there when John Lennon was shot? How many people remember that? Don't be shy. Raise your hand loud and proud. I see you, Sean. Um, but, but, but <laughs> it's because I love you. But who shot John Lennon? Mark David Chapman. So I started doing some research over what he said whenever he did it. And a couple of quotes here is that he, he was jealous of his fame and of his glory. He said that he talks about singing of no possessions, and yet John Lennon had all the possessions. He had the cars, he had the places, he had the yachts, and Mark David Chapman wanted it. But also more than that, do you guys remember whenever the Beatles said that they are becoming more famous than Jesus? That made Mark David Chapman so mad that he was willing to go through this. Well, did you know in August of 2020, he was up for another parole hearing where he was saying that he was sorry for what he had done. And this was his quote. I have no excuse. This was for self-glory. I think it's the worst crime that could be done to something that, that, that I'm sorry, I think it's the worst crime that there could be to do something to someone that's innocent. He was extremely famous. I didn't kill him because of his character or the kind of man he was. He was a family man. He was an icon. He was someone that spoke of things that now we can speak of, and it's great. I assassinated him, to use the word earlier, because he was very, very, very famous. And that's the only reason. And I was very, 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 very much seeking self-glory. Very selfish. Think about that for a second. Mark David Chapman wanted his name to be known just in a way that kind of compared to Lennon to the point where he said, I'm going to shoot him. I'm going to murder a man that didn't deserve it. People are willing to do whatever it takes to get their name on the radar. And if you don't believe me, think about your own life. Maybe you're not to the point, obviously, I hope not, of killing somebody. But you want people to know who you are. You want your name to be known because why? We want to know that we made a difference in the world, good or bad. But here's what I know is that you can't impress God. 
You can't impress somebody who knows absolutely everything. If God knows every single decision that we can make, then why would we ever think that we could impress God? Think about it. He's looking down at the people building this. And he finally says, all right, if I let you guys continue this, you're just going to think you can do more. And that just shows that he already knew what was going to happen because he knew that he had to stop it before it actually came to be. He knew that it was an unachievable thing. And focus on the words here. They wanted to reach up to reach God, and God had to come down to even get there. God obviously knew what he was doing, so he had to stop it. But God doesn't just change his mind to people like that. Anytime you read of God changing his mind, especially in the Old Testament, it's by somebody who was seeking God's will. He was always trying to find the people who said, if I can find favor in this person, then I'll change my mind. Abraham, Noah. And God's mind is always made up. God doesn't change his mind. He wants your heart and he wants your devotion. And here in Shinar, the people had their priorities all messed up. They're, they're missing the point. So what do we do about that? Well, number one, realize this was an attempt to replace God. This was an attempt to replace God. You see, in this city, they're building this massive tower in what they like to call a high place. This high place was meant to be somewhere that the Canaanites and the people on the outside could bring their fake gods, their man-made gods into so that they could worship them. But here, in, 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 but back in chapter four, you see that people began to call on the name of the Lord. So what changed between chapter four and now verse 11, where it says, let's call upon the name of the Lord to now let's make a name known for ourselves. Well, sin will progress if we allow it, right? Sin will progress. Archaeologists have actually discovered that in ancient Mesopotamia, that they found these massive places like they're describing here in Genesis, and they're called ziggurats. And ziggurats were these, like, these pyramid-looking things without the tops. And people would come, this is where they would put their, their, their again, their man-made gods in, and they would worship them so that people could have a place to quote-unquote worship. So it's understandable that God wanted to stop this before it became too far, right? Well, a ziggurat wasn't so much about getting man to heaven as much as it was as getting their gods to earth. So it's not about how high can we climb, it's about how low can the gods go so that we can mate. And the idea is that they had assurance that their God actually existed, that their God was present, which I think says a lot because if you remember in the Old Testament, what was the point of the temple? It's so that God could dwell with his people. So instead of man having to meet him halfway, God came to earth to be with his people, which says a lot about the mercy and grace of God even before Jesus was in the picture as far as the New Testament's right. Am I right on that? But since Adam and Eve, we do this really great thing called mess up all the time. The fall of man kind of like push started everything. The serpent comes in, he plants a seed of doubt in Adam and Eve. And from that moment on, sin exists. And we do a great job of keeping up with that theme. And I'm here to tell you, that's how it's supposed to be. Because if it weren't, 
then why would we need Jesus? Now, obviously the plan that God had from the get-go changed after Adam and Eve, but then God had a redemption story from the moment that it happened through Jesus. So whenever we see that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, sin was going to be present once Adam and Eve messed up. From the beginning, since the fall, we have struggled to live in a right relationship with God. And if you're sitting here today and you're asking yourself, why can't you do this? Why do I continue to do that? What's wrong with me? Why do I still struggle? One thing I tell students all day, every time I can, is if somebody tells you that becoming a Christian or that accepting Christ or that being baptized fixes every single thing in your life, it's the biggest lie you could be told. Because if you look in the New Testament, it says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. The idea is not that we put on a face and pretend to live the perfect life. The idea is that we understand that when the troubles come, we serve a God who beat it, who defeated death, who made sure that we had a way out to say, I may be struggling now, but that's not my future. I may, ha I may be going through the worst thing that I could ever imagine right now, but thanks be to Christ because I don't have to see that in the, in the afterlife. The worst thing for us is separation from God, which is exactly what hell is going to be. And that should be the greatest fear, is separation. See, the point of the Israelites here is that they didn't want to be dispersed. They didn't want to be spread out. Instead, they had their little church bubble where everybody spoke the same language and they didn't want to be spread out to talk to people who didn't have the same language as them. Does that sound familiar in the church world? Where we get so caught up in feeling comfortable in our little country club mentality and realize this is every church across the world. I hope you understand that. I'm not just pointing out gateway. We get comfortable. The reason that you connect with people is because you have things in common. But if we look at the very beginning of, the, uh, of Scripture and to the very end of what Jesus said, he tells us constantly to go out, to go do, to go be. Be fruitful and multiply. Leave your father and mother and, if, and what is the last thing that Jesus says? The Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples of every man, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them what I have commanded you. Our call has never been to sit inside of a church and to stay there because we speak the same language. It's to go out and tell the world about Christ. God does not want to be replaced and he won't be. And the Israelites were trying to by building this huge tower in the center. If God isn't gonna be here, then we're gonna reach him to make our name great. Let me also say this. There is nothing that you are going to do that's going to make you look better. The point of the Israelites building this is that they wanted God to notice them. But what we forget to realize is that if God truly does know everything, then we have to understand that no amount of good is going to make God look at you and be like, ah, you prayed today, I'm proud of you. And then you get like extra gold stars on your Jesus walk that day. That's not the point. 
That's not the point of coming to church. That's not the point of reading your Bible. You do those things to know more about Christ, not to simply gain a gold star on your Jesus walk. I'm going to use that one upstairs next week, guaranteed. (laughs) Guaranteed. Number two, our God will not be replaced. Last week, we talked about uh, uh, don't take the bait, meaning don't take the bait in what the world is trying to tell you that you are. Moses in Exodus uh, chapter 20 Uh, God's having a conversation with him. And it says that God is a jealous God, meaning that you're not going to share anything else but me. When he says he's jealous, it's because he wants you and him to be the only relationship that matters to you. Because through that, the rest of it will fall into place. And again, don't, don't forget what it says. When it says that God came down, it's because he knew exactly what they were doing. In uh, verse six, this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. God will not be replaced and he will do absolutely everything in his power to ensure that. So what is it in your life that you're trying to make yourself known for? What is the thing that, 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 that you seem like, I don't want to do this, but I know it feels good. What's my little bubble? Is it my job? Is it my family? Is it a sin that I, that I know I shouldn't do that I just can't let go of? What is the thing that grabs your attention, your motives, and your drive? What wakes you up in the morning? What gets you excited to wake up? What gives you comfort when you fall asleep? Because that's the thing that probably has your heart the most. And we all have them. Don't think that you're being singled out in any way. We all have the idols that, 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 that sometimes we place into our lives. But understand that if you allow one thing to, 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 to plant a seed in your life, it's going to grow. And you may not be able to always avoid the seeds, but what are you allowing to grow up with it? Number three, judgment day is coming. In the scripture that we read, and it says, let us go down. I, right now, I'm in a world religions class for school, and everything that, especially like Islam or Buddhists or Hindus, uh, try to claim against Christianity is that the idea of the Trinity is absurd. It's contradictory. How can one plus one plus one equal one? They say that there's no word that we use to, to, in scripture to explain the Trinity. And yet, if you look at multiple Old Testament texts and a lot of New Testament things about what Jesus claims he is, it, the only way to describe it is the idea of the Trinity. And this is one of those verses that if somebody ever asks you, well, where, where's the Trinity, where's Jesus in the Old Testament? This is one of those verses that I would use where it says, let us go down. God's not referring in a singular form here, so who could he be talking about? In the uh, first chapter of Genesis, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the earth. Well, seems a lot like the Holy Spirit, right? God is wanting them to know that he is going to be bringing the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to deal with what these people are doing, which means that it's a pretty serious deal for God. 
in Psalm chapter 73. It's one of my favorite Psalms, and I've mentioned it before, but it's the idea of a guy named Asaph who is struggling with the fact that he's looking around the world at people who aren't believers, and they're succeeding, and they're happy about it. They're mocking Christianity. They're mocking the Bible. They're living in their sin, and nothing's being done about it. And at the end of Psalm 73, it says that Asaph went into the presence of God. And it was in that moment he realized something. They are going to get theirs. And I know that that sounds harsh, but the idea is that God would not be good if he let sin go unpunished. It's like if we were in a court and all of the evidence is stacked against somebody murdering somebody. The, the murderer is saying, yep, I did it. And the judge says, you know what? You're good. I forgive you. Head on out. And then the murderer goes out and he does it again. He murders somebody else. We wouldn't just blame the murderer, but we would blame the judge for letting it go unpunished. We would blame the judge for not giving justice, right? Our problem is that we wish that we could see judgment today. And that's not the scriptural way that we see justice. God will judge the sinner and the believer based off what we do off, through, the, through the lens of what Jesus did. So if you're sitting here today and you're wondering, what is this judgment? I want you to understand that God will judge and that judgment day is coming. Our job is not to judge other people. That's up to God. Why do you think it says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Well, that's because we aren't allowed to have that authority. We didn't make humanity. In Revelation, oh, I'm sorry, let me back up. The way that God chose to deal with these people was not to destroy them like he did in the flood. I mean, God could do anything to, to punish these guys, am I right? He turned people into pillars of salt in scripture. He could do a lot worse. So instead, he chooses to confuse their language so that they can't communicate and they can't keep on building. And this is essentially where people believe that we, where we got all these different languages of the world, where there are over 7,000 languages. And why do you think they say, why are you babbling? Because of the Tower of Babel. In Revelation, as we're going to be getting through um, over the rest of the summer, we read in uh, Revelation chapter 18, verse 10, they will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour, your judgment hour has come. So the question is here, where is this so-called nation? In Revelation, we see that a one world monolithic nation becomes the enemy of God. And guess what the writer of Revelation calls that nation? It's Babylon. And guess where the origin of Babylon is? In the Mesopotamia plain of Shinar, where a city named Babel was built. There are at least seven verses in Revelation uh, that, that describe God's judgment on this place of Babylon, which is really his judgment on man's combined attempt to come together into one world. So judgment day is coming. So my question to you, is what are you trying to build in the center of your heart? What could it be that, 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 that's maybe 
mixing the lines for you. That's mixing the colors on what's trying to be painted. What is the, the thing that you want to be known in your life? Because even with this, with, with all the political stuff that's going on right now, there are a lot of opinions. A lot of things are trying to tell you to think this way, to believe this way. And if we are being swayed in all these different directions, then what is going to be our main source of authority? Well, if it's not scripture, then it's probably ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I don't really want to live in a world where there's billions of self-lived lives. And that's why we have to think biblically. Why? Because judgment day is coming. And if that's seeming scary, it's not meant to scare you into a sense of, of anything else other than action in Christ. Because the greatest thing that we could have is unity in Christ, like the Bible tells us that we have. The worst thing that could happen to us is separation from God, which is exactly what hell is. Don't get caught up speaking the same language and think that that's what we need to be doing. We need to be reaching people with the gospel. And that has been the call from the beginning of time, and it'll be the, end, the call until the end of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. God, for using an imperfect person like me and like every person on the, in, 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 that's, that's playing in the worship band right now, and God, not for every imperfect person that's out here, God, because if we are attempting to, to, to achieve this idea of perfection, God, it's, it's, it's unattainable. We can't, we shouldn't. God, instead you call us just to have a relationship with you. So Father, thank you for giving us that chance. And if there's anybody here right now who is struggling with maybe guilt, Maybe it's fear, maybe it's doubt, maybe it's, it's uncertainty about the future. God, I know that you win the battle. We don't need to read the end of the book because we know the ending. You win. And God, and through your word, we see that. So help us to invest our time and our energy into the word and nothing else. God, and that we don't get swayed. We don't take the bait on what the world tells us to. But God, that we take off the glasses of ourselves and we put on the glasses of you. And through that, we find truth. Father, thank you for everything. In your name I pray, amen.